Call to Adventure, hosted by Alex Opolis and John Duckworth. An exploratory conversation about facing the unknown. An opportunity to discuss those pivotal moments that illuminate new paths and reveal deeper purpose and meaning in our lives. Welcome to the show. We're here at 96.3, the worldwide headquarters of Ohm Radio. My name is Alex Opolis. I'm here with my partner in peace, John Duckworth. We have as our guest today, Hamilton Davis. Hamilton was born in Sumter, South Carolina, uh, later attended the Clemson from 96 to 2000. There he studied sociology and religion and philosophy. Later, he went to the USC School of Law in uh, 2005, graduated from there, went on a couple treks, but settled down as the Energy and Climate Policy Director at the Coastal Conservation League. Hamilton, welcome to the show. It's good to be here. Cool. Thanks for having me, Gus. Yeah, you bet. Um, one of the things that, uh, that we uh, get, usually get into right away is... Uh, um, who, uh, who in your life do you find, uh, particularly locally, uh, inspires you? And um, some of the, uh, a lot of the answers that you came up with were around um, uh, your coworkers at the Coastal Conservation League. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I, I, it's an easy place to start is, yeah. is with the guy I came to work for here in Charleston at the Conservation League, uh, Dana Beach, who set up the league 25 years ago and I think has really just done amazing things in terms of the, the breadth of the work that we focus on and, and the impact that organization has had up and down the coast. And when I went to law school, I focused on environmental law and I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do. But yeah. when I came across the Conservation League after I got out, it was exactly like that was it. That's, that's how you get involved and make a difference. And, and Dana's really shepherded that organization to, to be in one that's looked at nationally as an example of, of how you do conservation work. So. Dana is, is up there, and, and, and it's not just the conservation work he does, but um, he's also an intellectual and, and someone that's turned me on to a lot of great thinkers and writers, people like Nassim Taleb and, and some of the concepts that uh, play a big impact and role in the way we come at our projects at CCL. So certainly Dana, but also the people I work with at the Conservation League. You, know, yeah. you show talented. up for work, and, and you've got a cast of talented people that are committed and passionate about what they're doing. And, and I think that's probably different than maybe a lot of places folks have to show up to on Monday morning. But um, it's, you know, it's just enjoyable to be around those guys. And yeah. they, they all had opportunities to do a lot of other things, but, but coming and working for a nonprofit and, and doing something you believe in is, um, well, it's inspiring. Rewarding. Yeah. The, yeah. the Co Coastal Conservation League, they've been around for, as you said, 25 years. I think they just celebrated. They started really with land preservation, but I don't know when the exact time was, but it seems like they've really broadened their mission uh, with energy policy being one of the additive ways in which they're yeah, dealing it, with conservation. Yeah, it's going more from just the land conservation to air and water quality to sustainable agriculture. Uh, Grow Food Carolina was one of the initiatives that CCL kicked off about six years ago, and energy and climate is, is what I head up. And so we're focused on things like getting better access to solar energy for uh, home and business owners in South Carolina. Yeah, and just had some uh, pretty significant uh, legislation passed not too long ago, right? Yeah, big success yeah. last year. Um, solar legislation passed in 2014 and almost finished implementing that. So we're going to start seeing solar panels popping up all over the state. Which yeah, be, tell us what that means for, for, for the, the average citizen right now. 
it means if you're a homeowner or business owner, it's going to be much more financially attractive to make that investment and much okay. easier to navigate that process. So we've got nice. a solar resource that we really hadn't tapped into. Uh, we should be. It makes good economic and obviously good environmental sense. And, yeah. and we'll see that happen on a much grander scale now. And this is something that you were pushing for for a while now. I've been working on this yeah. for a long time, but uh, also a lot of other folks. And yeah. so it was a, a definitely a team effort and, um, you know, kind of a success story of having private sector and nonprofits and, and even having utilities and others come to the table and um, find consensus and, and find a path forward. Nice. You know, interesting. Just recently, I think what a, a week ago, this Monday, Obama came out with, I think, an executive order around environmental policy. Can you maybe share with our audience the impl- implications of uh, that policy? Yeah. So it's their new rules that the EPA just finalized. Uh, actually, Monday last week, the final rule was dropped, and they are the first carbon regulations on the coal plants and natural gas plants that exist today in in south carolina and across the country so we're going to have to come up with a plan to reduce our carbon emissions by about 35 percent between now and 2030 2030 which is much more aggressive than was even initially planned in that correct a little bit more aggressive than the draft plan but uh we've got a pretty clear path in south carolina to get there Uh, we've got the clean energy resources Uh, we've got the ability to tap into things like energy efficiency and just reduce how much energy demand we have and by taking that route we're going to help out consumers in this state and it's going to be a job creator it's going to be um good for the environment and i think it's going to be a win nice what sort of trickle down does that have for you directly a lot, because, a lot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what's interesting about the rule is that it's a lot of flexibility for the states to oh, draft okay. their compliance um, right. strategy, and so we'll be working directly with regulators, utilities, uh, clean energy businesses to come up with what that plan looks like over the next two years. That'll be a big part of my focus uh, for the next twenty-four months. While we're on that topic, share a little with us about what's happening with the offshore drilling. Uh, the the project that never dies. Right. This, is, this is this proposal that comes up every couple years, especially during election cycles. But it's it's actually moved a little bit further uh, than we'd like for it to, and than we've seen in the past. And unfortunately, we've got some of our state leaders that support it. Our governor supports it today. We're hoping she changes her mind on that, uh, especially in light of the local and coastal opposition we've seen. So. Myrtle Beach was the 20th uh, municipality last night to vote in opposition officially to offshore oil and gas development and exploration. So we basically have every municipality up and down the coast of South Carolina saying this is a bad idea. We don't want it. And it's a long process, a long discussion at the federal level, and I'm pretty confident that it won't happen, but it's certainly going to require a good bit of diligence on the part of uh, groups like ours and and just grassroots and, and mm. local elected officials continuing to be diligent and, and push back. When you whittle that down to the un- underlying reasons for the governor still supporting this, are we talking economics? I, I, you know, I don't think that Governor Haley is the, she's not the biggest cheerleader for okay. it. I think that to some extent she's been swept up in a political conversation, but I think uh, she's got the cover from her constituents now to, to change her position and, and do what's yeah. right for uh, the coast of South Carolina, and we expect her to do that. Well, and it was just a pretty uh, good indication of her ability to change her mind on the state flag issue. So Exactly. Yeah. Um, before we stray too far from this topic, something we were curious about is, is we know a little bit about your, your, uh, your adventures that we'll get into in a minute. But, but on a day-to-day basis at the Coastal Conservation League, what, what's a day in the life of Hamilton Davis? 
it, it's not so adventurous unless you, right. you you think of the state house as being an adventure, which I guess it can be. It can be. Quite a cast of characters up there. Um, I, I do a lot of work up in Columbia before the Public Service Commission and before the state legislature. So it's a lot of meetings with utilities, with solar businesses, with our partners in the conservation community, uh, other elected officials. And I, a lot of phone calls, a lot of emails. I mean, it's it's not super glamorous. It's, it's really yeah. staying on top of where the energy discussion is nationally and looking at opportunities to improve our situation here at home. And um, a lot of these projects take years to to get to the finish line and, and some of them just don't ever end you just it's a constant process of monitoring utility investments and uh dealing with bad legislative proposals and so we got a team of people that stay on top of those issues and and engage them from a lot of different angles and for the most part find success doing that is there are there rituals or practices that you go through daily to keep yourself sort of grounded uh and sort of focused on that long range well, you mentioned yoga in, in other conversations. Is that a big part of a day for you? Yeah, certainly outside of work life, um, I stay in the water a lot. So mm-hmm. I surf and paddleboard, kiteboard, um, go to yoga as much as I can, not as much as I'd like to, meditate, yeah, read a lot. Those are the things that um, tend to clear my head. And, and you know, it, it, especially being outside in Charleston, it connects me to the environment that, that I'm working to protect and it's good motivation when you're when you're out there and you uh, have a constant reminder that that this is why you do what you do. Right. Yeah. I, I, I love when people say they're reading something, and then you ask them uh, somebody who says they're reading a lot. And I think you mentioned four books that sit on your nightstand. <laughs> Maybe you could talk about right. some of those. You, uh, Black Elk Speaks by John Nyhart was one. Yeah. Um, about the Native American culture set in the 1850s, I believe. Yeah. yeah. It's actually an interview that. Uh, took place in around 1930, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, Sue Elder. And it's just a conversation that uh, Black Elk is having with this poet from, uh, I believe, I believe Nyhart's from South Dakota. And it, it's a fascinating just kind of look into the life of this guy that, that straddled the, the 20th and 19th century and, and the experience he had coming from a time when he was a boy where there was a very traditional Native American uh, culture intact in the Dakotas and, and watching him lose that over time. And, uh, you know, it's powerful to see how these cultures that, that existed across North America related to the environment and, um, and just their way of life being so much different. And it, you know, it's a shame that we lost that. Mm-hmm. You, you also mentioned, and, and this will get into the later uh, conversation about adventure, but Vagabonding by Ralph, uh, Ralph Potts. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, book. so I'm about, I'm maybe halfway into that. And uh, just a good reminder, a lot of kind of the philosophy of travel and, and the way you think about um, work and, and, the, and the ends that work gets you. So how are we using our paychecks? Are we, are we using it to buy the latest iPad? Or are we using it to go out and see the world and explore? And it's a combination of of quotes and excerpts and just his own personal travel stories and anecdotes and and how you actually get out on the road for extended periods of time and and do it not as a vacation, but but as a traveler, as as Mm -hmm. someone who's who's out to experience the world as it is rather than than be a sightseer. John John and I were talking about, uh, I think it's Stefan Sagmeister who did a TEDx and he talked about the seven-year sabbatical where he closes down his shop, a design agency, and 
and literally takes a year sabbatical. And looking through your uh, sort of biography, I, we noticed that it seems to be every three years <laughs> that you take a uh, <laughs> sabbatical. Nice. Yeah, that's the pace I'm on, I guess. And right. I've been fortunate that CCL gives me some flexibility there. And yeah. we actually have a, a sabbatical policy where uh, every six years you can take three months off and, and go do something preferably that'll help you when you come back with uh, furthering your career at the league. But um, I did a, a month in Nepal and a couple of months in Europe just with a backpack, and that was back in 2012. And maybe we'll talk a little bit about that, but yeah, it's quite the experience. Um, and adding to the light reading, I think uh, uh, Letters mm-hmm. from a Stoic by Seneca, and uh, one of my favorite books is The Art of Living by Epictetus, mm-hmm. uh, which is a similar. Which, which I haven't read, but yeah, uh, I, I just I reread uh, Marcus Aurelius's Meditations recently, which got me back into Stoicism with kind of new eyes and. I, I think maybe, I'm not sure, maybe I came across the Stoics at, at a time where they just didn't connect with me, but it's a, it's a whole different ballgame now, and I'm, I'm semi-obsessed with jumping back into that philosophy. It's, yeah. it's, such a, it's so closely related to Eastern philosophy in my mm-hmm. reading of it, and it's interesting to see that from a Western perspective and just how relevant it is to our lives today. I mean, there's so much in there that, that you can just take and, and apply immediately in, in the way we It's a very practical way yeah. of trying to come at the same thing, which is trying to uh, find happiness in your day-to-day, yeah. not, not some destination later. And, and about self, self-betterment. You know, right. Thinking of your life as an yeah. opportunity to, to improve as a human being and, yeah. and, and evolve and, and how, you, how you accomplish that. And, and uh, Marcus Aurelius was one of uh, Epictetus' uh, students, I believe. So it's a, it's a, there's a, a long line of, uh, of guys along this same line of thought. And contrary to popular belief, they're, they're not boring the, the whole term yeah. stoic, you know, brings to mind the wrong, the wrong idea, the wrong visual. But these these guys are really passionate about what yeah, they do. Yeah, it's gotten a, a bad yeah. rap in terms yeah, of I think so. the term. Yeah, um, you know, uh, slight segue before we go adventure off into uh, some some vagabond travels. Uh, one of the things that we're always curious in asking our guests is if uh, a question about Charleston and Charleston as a person. And it's something that Alex and I have talked about quite a bit in, in trying to define uh, who this person is and who this person looks like. And, and it's, it's, it's curious right now, particularly because Charleston seems to be at uh, sort of a shift, a pretty dramatic shift with, with the influx of a lot of new people. And so we were just wondering, um, from your position, if you had to answer, if tra- when Charleston is a person, who is she? Who is he? I, I, I think she's in the middle of a, an identity crisis, yeah. for sure. And, uh, and there are different paths that, that she can head down. Um, and I, you know, I, it's such an amazing city. This is it's certainly the, my favorite town that I've lived in. And, and every time I leave, um, yeah, it's hard to say that Charleston doesn't stand up against anywhere else you go. Uh, it, it's got an amazing history. Um, and, and just the... The ocean, the forest, the rivers, the marshes, the people, the, the history and the buildings, um, it's, it's second to none. But I think there, there are just so many challenges that, that we're faced with, with the growth pressure and, and decisions that have to be made, a new mayor coming in. Um, I, I certainly worry about the future and, and whether we, we uh, make the best choices that, that preserve the quality of life here and quality of environment and and it continues to be that place that people want to come back to or uh, for the same type of reasons. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got, we've got this local food movement. We've got a local beer movement. We've got, um, as I said, our beaches, our forests. There's so much 
going on. The music scene is popping up with some yeah. amazing local artists, and uh, but we've also got this growth pressure, and we've got it's happening exponentially right got, now. It really I is. I mean, there's just so increasing. much to deal with and to juggle, and and I think it's hard to to go back and undo bad decisions, and you see right. that um, in a lot of the development on the outskirts of Charleston. It's, it's interesting, because while we have all these local economic movements, food movement or craft beer movement, we don't have a local citizens movement. <laughs> Perhaps huh. we need to start one. Right. I'll tell you what, though. I mean, uh, along, along those lines of, of you know, Charleston and, and what it's been and what it could be, one of the things that I, that I really loved in listening to the music, and you mentioned a local music scene, and, and Susto is, is one of the bands that I'd been turned on to not too long ago. A good friend of ours, Jared Wilkins, is their manager with Gold Mountain Entertainment. Oh, and, cool. And uh, he, um, it's a great band and great musician, and he's a local guy. And, and this song, uh, Black Jesus, and I, I didn't know this until I started doing a little bit of background story, that it's a reference to the Jesus on the cross town, that mural that's painted on the side of that house. And, and there's, you know, he, he's climbing up a ladder with a rainbow in the background. Right. right. Iconic. Yeah. Iconic. Yeah. Right, right, right. And I imagine, you know, not too far away from being painted over and fixed up and, and, and the house will be, you know, sold somewhere. But um, let's, let's play that song right now.
get into uh, the call to adventure, and you've had many of them. Um, I found, before we get into that and sort of the questions, uh, one of your favorite quotes was from Paulo Coelho, uh, uh, the ship is safest when it is in port, but that's not what ships were built for. Such a perfect way to get into this conversation. Simple uh, and, and, and elegant. Yes. You talked about and self-described driving across country to California at 20 years old, surfboard on my roof, no specific destination in my mind, disillusioned with college, turned on to Kerouac and the Beat Riders, and just hit the road. <laughs> it's been only a few months out west that summer, but that set the direction of my life. Um, talk to us a little bit about what led you to getting on that path. And then I want to talk a little bit about what, what transpired while you were out there. You know, I think just coming out of high school and being, I played sports in high school and, and that's where a lot of my attention was placed and uh, getting into college and not having that as an outlet and reading more and more. My mom was my English teacher, so she had me reading at a very young age. And I was already kind of primed with Thoreau and, um, mm-hmm. and and um, Herman Hess and authors like that to to be thinking about adventuring, um, but I'd never really done it. And by the time I was twenty, I, I think I was just seeing the world in a diff- very different way, and, and um, needed to get out of South Carolina and the Southeast, and didn't really know what to do. But uh, driving across country seemed like a good idea. I'd, I'd recently been handed a copy of On the Road by Kerouac, and classic. It's, it's a yeah. classic and yeah. maybe trite, but. Uh, that that motivated me and um yeah packed up headed out i wasn't out there that long it was it was tough you know it's first time you do something like that for me at least lonely and there's there's a fear element to it but it was just enough excitement and, and kind of a hook to to get me just thinking about okay what's what's the next trip what's the next thing you know i've found that typically before you make that move um there in my life there's some friction behind like uh still being in the spot where i no longer am right and and yet you haven't made the transition into this new place was was there conflict or friction around sort of leading up to that just i need to move i need to go on a different path yeah i had some things going on that Mm -hmm. were uh personal conflicts Mm -hmm. and um challenges that that i was overcoming but probably i guess still in the midst of it and and yeah, I needed that decompression. Mm-hmm. Get a little distance away. Yeah. So, so when you get out there, it, it's it's funny because this isn't the first time we've talked to somebody who went that way. And Alex and I were both on the west coast, and we came this way. <laughs> right. Um, and a great way to just get some perspective on on where you've been. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I and I find that as soon as you know, most people embark on an adventure that's that that puts them in a place that's so much different from where they're from. Uh, you can't help but, uh, you know, one or two things. One, you end up going on this real great inner exploration as you're in the midst of this outer adventure, you know. Um, what, w- what was that like? And then second, you know, what was it about the West Coast, you know, that was so different from where you were in Sumter? Well, I think, uh, you know, part of it was just having the freedom to go out there and, and see who I was in a mm. setting where nobody Knows knew you, me. And, right? I mean, and that's very, that was very different for me. At 20, I was, you know, I grew up in a small town. I went to Clemson. I knew, I knew a lot of the folks there. Um, certainly brought kind of 
a, a continuation of my personality into into Clemson, and so just having the freedom to kind of go out and spread my wings, I guess, and yeah. and, and see things from a little different perspective um, was affecting. And then, uh, you know, I, California wasn't that it wasn't that much different. I mean, that's one thing I've learned in, in traveling is that it's not necessarily that places are, are so dramatically different. It's it's more that. Um, you're new there, and and so it, there's no there's no routine. Nothing's old. Everything is is kind of fresh eyes that, mm-hmm. that you bring with you, and and just having that experience is is worthwhile, and it's something that you carry back with you. Um, I came across this this T. S. Eliot co- quote that one of my friends uses in her email sig. It says, "We shall not cease from exploration, and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time." And, and I think mm-hmm. that sums up a lot of uh, my travel experiences as you leave, yeah. going for a while, you come back, and, and what you find is home is, is new. There, there, there are certain things that are comfortable. and Back um, where you started, yeah. but you're new, you're so new. you can't and, help and but so see, you see it, it in a new light. Yeah. 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 David White's a poet that I, I, I've loved listening to. He comes into town once a year. Um, uh, the Sophia Institute hosts him. I think in March he'll be here again. Um, but he talks about our life in the in narratives, you know, and you build these sort of parts of your personality and your demeanor, and that be, they be, almost become solid. Mm-hmm. And it takes getting out of that space to yeah. realize that that's all just clothing, you know. Yeah, no that it, it all can be taken off, and it all can be changed. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that of that um, notion of of the the narrative that, that we spin and that we I mean that's how we think that's how that's our inner dialogue that's how we look at the world we don't we're not always aware of what those narratives are what those stories are but we have we've got thousands of them and um you distancing yourself from from your setting uh, gives you the ability to kind of see those from the outside and and rethink whether or not that's the story that yeah. uh, that makes sense or the one that you want to be telling yourself it's amazing how quickly you can decide to take or leave bits and pieces of that story when you get some distance. I remember that's how it was for me when I came here from, from the West Coast. Uh, there were certain parts of who I was there that, that when I got here, I thought, well, just as you said, nobody knows me here. So nobody, I don't have a history to keep up with. And, and you know, certain parts I can just, just leave back in the West Coast. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think it's more challenging to do when you stay where you are. I think it's it, it gives it a certain sense of flexibility and freedom when you're somewhere else completely new. But yeah, I um, mean I think I think there's a momentum that we have yeah. in our lives and and to the extent that you're in the same place it's very hard to mm-hmm. to break free from that and yeah um traveling is is one way to do it it's just stopping that inertia right. in a way and and being able to reset rethink uh come at come at your life from a different angle and improve the areas you want to improve and yeah. and leave the areas that uh don't make sense for you anymore right there's another saying about travel you know because i think a lot of people do do that they want to change their life and they move um but wherever you go there you are right um it's definitely not so simple as right i'm I'm gonna move to oregon and everything's gonna be great right it doesn't doesn't work like that i i I think there's a lot of people who move for that reason yeah Um, i think that's what motivated me early i thought i mean i I think that's what i anticipated with a lot of my early travels is that i would go mm -hmm. somewhere and it would just be better because i was somewhere else and that's I learned that's not how it works. Right. How, how do you, uh, or, and it might be just that you take three-year sabbaticals to give yourself that space, but when you come back, uh, Joseph Campbell talks a lot about being able to 
traverse two worlds, sort of the world that you saw when you were there and who you might become, uh, and then come back to where you were and, and straddle both. Um, how, how do you create, when you're here, that same meta- process of sort of metamorphosis? I mean, for me, it's you find people that inspire you. Like I, I like I listen to a lot of podcasts now. There's there's so much great, so many great people that are doing that, and and the books you read and and the people that you surround yourself with. I mean, you you set yourself up to uh, for success and and for evolution. And I think that it's just um, recognizing that that uh, there there are opportunities in your life to to continue to improve. Buff Ross talks about curiosity. Um, is that would you? Is that a, a characteristic that you place high value on? Yeah, I, I would definitely say I'm pretty curious. Um, I think um, um, one of the other major adventures you referred to was a 750 miles on the Appalachian Trail, and 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 Alex, you just talked about the the Joseph Campbell, and one of the things he refers to is when you step out onto these adventures as whether it's an actual adventure as you seem to do or this uh, uh, you know an inner adventure. Both mm-hmm. are very similar. Uh, that, that there's the road of trials, and there's a transformation that happens from that road of trials. You referred to the Appalachian Trail as one of the hardest things you ever did. Tell us a little bit about that. I had I just finished. Clemson, uh, wandering a little bit. I spent two years just kind of traveling. I was down here working for a little bit uh, before I went to law school. And the Appalachian Trail is one of the things that I had a friend do it, and I read um, the book, A Walk in the Woods, and uh, intrigued me. And it was something I'd never done, like, much backpacking at that time. I'd spent a lot of time outdoors uh, hunting and fishing. That's what I grew up doing with my father. But I hadn't really done the backpacking thing. And um, that, you just decided to jump up and sound, do it. Yeah, it sounded yeah. amazing. So I spent a few months planning that, saving some money up, and and went and did it. And it was in, incredibly difficult. And I was really? I was by myself. Um, so you low. meet a lot of people out there, but but you're by yourself a lot as well. And uh, just the the physical and mental um, kind of anguish, I guess, that you go through. For me, at least, when being I did alone? that, I mean, some well, was it the solitary it's nature. It's, all, it's also just difficult. The, the physical difficulty physical of it, and like challenge, mentally yeah. priming yourself to get up in the morning and know that you've got to go walk 15 miles through the mountains. And I mean, there's a, a lot of monotony. There's a lot, especially in the Appalachian Trail where you're in a canopy the whole time. So it's not mm-hmm. like out west where you've got these huge views and vistas that are that are constantly uh, entertaining you. It's um, you're with yourself and your thoughts a lot. Yeah. And um, I think that uh, you know, that that three months just slowed things down for me and, and, and showed me showed me some some toughness and some uh, sides of myself that, that maybe I wasn't as confident in or, or wasn't mm. necessarily aware of and came back from that trip um, a little more um, a little more solid than before I yeah. left. I find it's interesting. I find that happens when you mentioned like the suffering of it, you know, as, as sort of and but it's an intentional process. And and at the end of the day, like for me, I, I've trained as a competitive cyclist for a while, and the only way you get better as a cyclist is through intentional suffering. And and at the end of the day, it it primes you for those moments where suffering comes without you wanting it to be there. And and the only thing, as you mentioned, Viktor Frankl uh, uh, previously, the one thing that you really do have control over, and the only thing you have control over, is your reaction to the things that you're confronted with. Yeah. So I feel like it's a great preparation for. 
um, those unexpected things that are bound to happen, you know, in your life. And, and have you found that to be true as far as that kind of a experience and leading to the takeaways in your day to day? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think that's, um, the, the value of, of testing yourself and, and trying to find those limits and, and pushing yourself that, that you come back on the other side a bit stronger. And when, when that next hardship inevitably comes, cause it will, uh, you can weather it with a bit more grace and um, it's not as big a deal. Because you've been there before. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's a, a, I'd love to go to a song, uh, Ends of the Earth by Lord Huron, um, uh, and I'll lead in with that. Uh, I was ready to die for you, baby. Doesn't mean I'm ready to stay. What good is living a life you've been given if all you do is stand in one place? Enjoy. Oh, Winds on forever I'm gonna see where it leads Oh, there's a mountain That no man has mounted I'm gonna stand on the peak Out there's a land That time don't command Wanna be the first to arrive No time for pondering why I'm wandering on While we both sit to the ends of the earth, would you follow me? There's a world that was meant for us to see. To the ends of the earth, would you follow me? If the world ever say my Life you've been given if 
If all we do is stand in place I'm on a river that winds on forever Follow till I get where I'm going Maybe I'm heading to die But I'm still gonna try I guess I'm going on So that was Lord Huron, Ends of the Earth, and um, beautiful song. Um, one, that's one of the things I wanted to ask you about was uh, you're, you're a live music junkie. You go see a lot of, a lot of live shows. And, and uh, what is it about that experience that you really are drawn to? I think part of it early on was, was actually some of the travel component. To, uh, mm-hmm. I got into widespread panic in the high school yeah. and in the college, and you know, it was kind of a, the thing to do, go follow those guys around. And it's a good excuse to go see a lot of different cities and, and meet strangers. But just being in an auditorium or a bar or, or, or whatever that setting is and, and, and seeing someone um, play music that moves you and, and have it move the people around you at the same time. And, um, I, it's just a unique. It's hard to get that experience elsewhere. It's it's just one of those things yeah. that, that I seek out, and thankfully we got a lot of good music in Charleston, so it's easy to do. You have like a top uh, top three favorite shows you've you, you've seen live, I've, I've or a handful. Seen, I well, just recently I saw Beck uh, oh, at yeah? the Performing Arts Center, which was amazing. He's a fantastic performance. Yeah. Um, we're going to play some My Morning Jacket later. You, I'm sure you've seen I, them live. I have. Yeah. Um, those guys are great. One of the best shows I've seen them play was, I guess, six, seven years ago uh, down here at the Family Circle. Oh, okay. And um, I wish they'd come back through Charleston more often. They're on yeah. tour right now with their new album, but they're, they're bypassing South Carolina. Oh, really? Alex, you saw them, right? No, I haven't. Oh, okay. No, I no, love them. I uh, love their music, but I haven't yeah. seen them. Yeah. Um, it, it, did you ever, ever get a chance to see The Grateful Dead? I've not with Jerry. I've, not with I've, Jerry. I've seen okay. the rest of the members a few times, but yeah. uh, not with Jerry, which I guess doesn't really count. Right. <laughs> I saw them once in Las Vegas. It was a, yeah. it was a mind blowing experience for it, sure. It's actually one of my, the, the regrettable uh, declines um, to the call to adventure. In high school, I had some older friends that were going to see the dead, and I was I was worried that I was going to get in trouble with them because I was it's like during football season. I was like, I'm not going to do that. I'll be, I'll be 18 and in college and can see them in a couple years. And, and then Jerry passed away before I finished high school. Oh so that was man, one of my big regrets. Right. Um, what, what are the other spaces or venues or, or, or I, I know you spend a lot of time out in the water, out in nature. What are the other uh, spaces that that give you sort of uh, a deeper sense of awareness? Um, well, I spend a lot of time on the beach, on the water, creeks and marshes. Uh, I love walking around downtown Charleston. I lived down here for about seven or eight years. I, I just moved out to Isle of Palms recently. But, um, but being downtown and and just wandering, looking at the, the architecture, the streets, the old homes, um, pretty special. And, and I love the mountains. I spend, I, I get up to, I get in the mountains as much as I can. Um, it's a little bit tougher living down here in Charleston, but um, 
I always feel torn between the ocean and and the mountains, but but so far the ocean's winning out. What mountains do you visit up in Asheville? Yeah, I go to Asheville. I've got some friends in Asheville. I go up to Pisgah and and climb and hike, camp a good bit. Um, Spend a lot of time out west, too, in the Sierras and and a little bit in the Rockies. I feel that same pull. I you know love uh, love the ocean and and I've I'm always been close to it from San Diego to to Charleston but boy I love the mountains. It's, what's weird is it's so hard to get away from the crowds on the coast and I think yeah. that's that's one of yeah. the things that's that's difficult is there's a real there's, beauty there's a in isolation and, and, and you can get that on a trail in the yeah. Pisgah you know yeah it's easy to get away in the mountains yeah yeah definitely and there's something special about those mountains particularly up in Asheville you know the, the mountains around there They're, they've been around for a long time. Yeah, it, very different from the West Coast. You know, yeah. really tall, jagged, and steep, and and you've got this much more rolling, uh, sort of ancient wisdom to the mountains around yeah, here. They, they each it feels their, like that. Yeah, they each have their old, their own beauty. And uh, yeah, identity. yeah. What did you find? I mean, when you you went through, you did the Pacific Crest Trail as well. So, what were the differences between those two trips, and the similarities? Were they is yeah. it the same experience for it, you? It was. There's a similar experience I found on a few of these trips where when you put yourself outside for that long a period of time, it, it seems like about three weeks is, is when the like magic moment happens where you you really are dialed in and all the things that are hard at first, like just getting your feet into shape and and getting used to walking 15, 18 miles a day, um, washing your pots, cooking, like all of that stuff is a hassle to begin with but then at about the three week mark everything becomes very natural and and you Mm -hmm. just become part of that setting in a way that you can't you just can't get there unless you spent the time out there to do it and it's unfortunate because i wish that every time i walked into the woods that's what i felt like immediately Um, immediately okay but yeah and and, you know you can you can remember it and kind of get back there but um i i tell everyone i talk to about those trips that if, if there's one thing you can do and take a month or, or six weeks off, find we've got amazing trails in this country. Go go hike one of them for, but for you as long as you can. But you got to get beyond that three-week mark. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's, that's the, the marker I found. So, I mean, in reference to what I mentioned earlier, when, when, when you get through that aspect, um, at least in my experience, there tends to be this sort of inner exploration that, that is happening all along the way mm-hmm. at where there's sort of a deep dive to scratch beneath the surface. And, and you know, you mentioned Viktor Frankl before in his book, Man's Search for Meaning. Um, it feels like, and with Sam Harris as well, when, when you talk about him, uh, that, that, that there's the, there is this search for meaning. And, and, and are these trips... Um, uh, based on that kind of a that kind of a search, that kind of an exploration, or, or what's the fundamental sort of thing that's happening when you keep repeating this outward adventure? I, I think part of it is just the rewarding nature of of the experience. Is okay. uh, you know it's it's satisfying and it's it's interesting to me to go do these things. But but yeah, it's also um, you you learn about yourself and it's again this just this kind of stoic idea of of, of self betterment that there's room. We have room to improve. I mean, it, it, w- it would be sad to think that we're the best we're ever going to be right now. I don't think that. I mean, I, th- I think that there's there's so much to read. There's so much to see. There's so many people to meet. There's so much to learn. So many ways to improve your quality of life and, and um, improve your relationships. And that's, that's what you work towards. And what you learn on some of these trips, especially the hiking trips, is you see 
you see your mind and, and the way it works when you take it out of its, its normal patterns and, and you get a, mm. a kind of different perspective on your habits of, of thinking and what your desires are, what, what you're just doing because you know, the, the inertia, the momentum has, has led you there and they're not decisions you've made. There's just, it's the place that you found yourself in. And that's, that's hard to see um, when you're in your routine, but it's easier to see when you get out of it. And um, when you get out of that routine in, in a setting like the Appalachian Trail or Pacific Crest Trail, uh, and, and, and you can ease into just the natural world. I mean, you, you feel at, at home here. I mean, you recognize mm-hmm. that this planet is, we, we belong here. We're not, we're not strangers here. We, we, yeah. we came from here. And we're not the, separate the, from. Yeah, we're part of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I find that, that when I take trips like that, one of the things that, that, that really that happens is it's twofold. One, I get out and, and, and you're removed from the trappings of society. And so there's a lot of noise that, that goes away. And so there's a certain quietness that happens. But at the same time, the noise in your mind gets louder initially. Right. And you realize how loud it is and what yeah. all yeah. that's going on and, and in there. And it's always yeah. like that. And it's you always just don't like, notice right, it right, right, yeah. right. And it takes a little while for, for that to diminish. And then there's there other, another voice that comes up. And that connectiveness that you refer to seems to be the one that's most common. Mm-hmm. It's this real deep connectiveness to nature mm-hmm. and, and as us being part of it and not separate from that. I, I remember last year, John knows this, I, you know, not being able to take the time to go on a, a large hike or, or, uh, or track. I just did a year of radical simplification and just tried to fundamentally alter my habits in a way that I would create that dis, disequilibrium, really. Um, and I journaled throughout the whole process, but it was really interesting to see how unsettling it was at first yeah. and how much stuff came to the forefront. And I mean, that's, how, a, that's a great thing to do. It's like yeah. set yeah. these little challenges for yeah. yourself where, you, where you're just disrupting your, your day-to-day yeah. life. But yeah. make some goals. Think about some things yeah. that, to get you out of your routine. Carl yeah. Jung refers to that as this sort of intentional disorganization. Right. And, and, and from that, you end up going through what I referred to earlier as that, that road of trials. And then there's a reorganization that comes back out of that. But it's good to challenge yourself in that way. I think to your point earlier about about there's always room for betterment. It reminds me of one of my favorite quotes by Shunri Suzuki, and he says, you know, you are perfect exactly the way you are, and there's room for improvement. Right. There's sort of that balance, you know, between just being satisfied now and uh, looking for more. I got to think, you know, we talked about every three years you take one of these tracks, and the last one was 2012. It is 2015, last I looked. So I know there's some uh, track out there on the horizon. Can you... uh, Give us any insight as to what that might look like. I am working on it. Yeah, yeah. working I don't know. on it. I've, got, I've had some good surf trips this year, and then uh, looks like some more on the horizon for next year. But bigger trips, uh, I'm thinking, planning. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to give anything away. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, thanks so much for spending uh, spending the time with us. We uh, we loved having you here. Enjoyed the conversation. Uh, um, yeah, appreciate what you do for the state of South Carolina with the Coastal Conservation League. It's really wonderful. And and the way that you find a way to balance what I imagine is a a bit of a grind on a day-to-day basis with some some real amazing adventures uh, out and about uh, from the water to the mountains. It seems like you've uh, found a good way to keep some balance in your life. Well, this this is great. Very cool being here with you guys. I listened to one of the shows already and excellent. Um, So keep it up. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. And thanks to Ohm Radio as well, keeping us on the air. So uh, 
who are we uh, leading out with here today, Alex? We, uh, we are going to close it down with uh, one of my favorites, one of your favorites, uh, My Morning Jacket and uh, Circuital. Enjoy.
Wow, what a great, what a great song, what a great piece by My Morning Jacket. Love that band. Yeah. Uh, so, Hamilton Davis, what a great guest and some some true calls to adventure in his life for certain, right? Yeah, I mean, literally, you know, I mean, uh, a trek to uh, uh, the Pacific Coast Trail, Appalachian Trail. We didn't get into it much, but he spent a year down in Costa Rica, which he titled "Living Learning to Live Slow. That's right. Um, and, and we also didn't get a chance to talk about his most recent, which was a, a trek in Nepal and in Europe. Yeah. Sounds like we're going to have to have Hamilton back. Yeah, I would love to do that. <laughs> you know, I was just, uh, I'm reading this book, uh, Yoga and the Quest for the True Self by Stephen Cope. And there's a quote that struck me after sitting here with Hamilton uh, by a gentleman named Amrit Desai. And he says, there must be movement back and forth from the mountaintop to the marketplace. And his point was just these periods of introspection sort of sprinkled throughout our lives to give us uh, a bit of perspective on where we are. And, of course, I thought immediately of Hamilton and, and, and his treks and trips and, and, and hiking adventures and how uh, it's a great way for him to achieve this balance between what he does and uh, to stay connected to the places that he's trying to work for. Right. You know, I think, did, did Joseph Campbell call that traversing two worlds? Yeah, yeah as, it, as exactly, as you referred to earlier. Yeah, yeah. That, that straddling of two worlds and being able to manage that. Because you're not, you're not really in one or the other. When you, when, when you go on a trek like that and you come back, you're coming back, as he said, a different person. What was the quote you used when you come back to the same place and it's... Uh, it, it's well, you're 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 new, you know. Right. You're transformed, right? And so you're you're back where you started, but you're not the same, right? I love that, and you're looking at it with fresh eyes because of that, right? And yeah. So there's, I found it really interesting, in particular, when he talked about that three week transition yeah. on all of his big treks and and trails, trail hikes, where he said three weeks in, it really takes that long to settle into it, and. I thought, how, how curious that it takes that long. Like, what a, what a commentary on our modern-day life. Yeah. That it takes three weeks to decompress from the sort of rigors of it in order to get connected to something that naturally we should be connected to already, which is this sort of equilibrium with something greater, the, the, the whole ecosystem and um, the uh, organism that we're part of, this planet. Yeah, it's, a, it's, uh, it's ironic, isn't it, that a world in which we're, quote-unquote, so connected, uh, we're really not connected. We're, we're, we're really disconnected from the source, which is nature. Um, and the fact that it takes three weeks, you think about the way most people live and whether they have the time to get out and get that space, it's not, it's not likely. You know? True. Um, yeah, so I think which is why uh, I'm sure it's so difficult for places like the Coastal Conservation League to get their message out. Because Hamilton makes an amazing attempt at, at, at regularly making a conscious effort to get out and get into it in that way. But not everybody does that. Not everybody right. has that time, as you mentioned. So right. it's hard to get to convince people of that connection when they aren't experiencing it right. on a regular basis. Gosh, I've had a chance to sit in on a Coastal Conservation Conservation League meeting, and uh, yeah. and he spoke so highly of the people he works with, and I can tell you that some of the most passionate and talented people. I remember walking out of that meeting, just going, "Wow, those are some brilliant minds." So nice. it's nice to have an organization like that right here that is, 
you know, fighting an uphill battle trying to protect those spaces. Um, the land, the water. Um, the air. The air, yeah. right. Yeah, and not, uh, as he mentioned, uh, you know, a nationally recognized organization. These guys really are no joke. They're, they're doing a phenomenal job for, for the state of South Carolina, and people around the country look to it and, and, as an example. Right. Yeah. Well, another great show. Uh, I know uh, we have coming up Reverend Jeremy Rutledge. Uh, From Circular Congregational yeah, Church. That'll yeah. be exciting. That'll be really exciting. So um, thanks for spending another hour with us. Uh, hope you had a great time. Look forward to doing it again. Thanks to Ohm Radio for hosting us. Uh, and thanks to uh, Thomas, our sound guy, for making it all happen. Cheers. Excellent. Cheers. And remember, the road that is distinctly your own has never been traversed. Celebrate the path that is your call to adventure. This show is brought to you by Objectivity Squared Wealth Management, helping families strategize, execute, monitor, and communicate their financial decisions. Learn more at objectivitysquared.com.